is the nature of systematic theology? That might seem a bit odd for someone who was a Wesleyan theologian to be talking about systematic theology. Uh, Wesleyan theology is well known not to be that focused on the nature of systematic theology, and yet it is. Systematic theology is, if we were to define it, a comprehensive treatment of the subject of what Christians believe. And its intent is to clarify, to confirm, and test what we believe with all of the disciplines across the university curriculum. So it's a very comprehensive subject. One of the things also to be stressed about the nature of systematic theology is that it is indeed a fallible human undertaking. That is to say, systematic theology is our human attempt to understand the givenness of God's revelation in the history of salvation. And because it's our human rational attempt to understand that revelation, it's fallible. That is to say, it's capable of being improved. That is why Karl Barth has defined the task of, of dogmatics or systematic theology to be that of examining the language of the church in the light of the language of the Bible. Now, the Bible was given to the church for the purpose for the church to understand it and proclaim it. And it must do that for each new succeeding generation. While the Bible we believe to be the infallible rule of faith and practice, our interpretation is not infallible. We must always carefully study and reflect and seek to understand its nuances even clearer in each generation that uh, the church exists. One thing to be uh, said about systematic theology too, systematic theology is not an attempt to understand simply human values and human interest. Theology is not the product of human imagination. Theology is not humanology. Theology is a doctrine of God as revealed in the history of salvation. Now it became very important once the history of salvation had been completed in, in the revelation of Jesus Christ who died, rose again, and sent His Holy Spirit to live in the life of the church and for us to be witnesses, faithful witnesses of that revelation. And doing systematic theology is a part of that task that we have of being a faithful witness to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. But that means that each generation must, must take that biblical revelation and translate it into the language and thought forms of every new generation so that they can be sure that they understand it. Now by the year 100 AD, there was probably 100 Greeks who were Christians for every Jew that was a Christian. And the Bible, the New Testament in particular, is a Near, Near Eastern document. It's a Palestinian Jewish document. But most of the people who became Christians were Greeks. And so it became important for that message to be translated into categories that they could understand. And that is why that process of translation uh, began even in the New Testament itself. You take the Gospel of John. When John wrote his prologue, 
he used a word that was very familiar to the Greeks, and that was the word logos. John wrote his gospel from Ephesus. Ephesus was the site and the birthplace of one of the greatest of philosophers by the name of Heraclitus. Heraclitus lived around 500 B.C., and he had taught that everything in life is changing. But how do we know it's changing? And what is it that gives it cohesion and coherency? What is it that gives it its sense of unity? And his answer was, the everlasting logos underscores and underlies all that is. And that is why there is ability to talk about the unity of life because of the divine logos. And John, writing from Ephesus, the city of Heraclitus, also uses the word logos. But that's also a Jewish concept. It goes back to the Old Testament. And God said, let there be light, and there was. And so the creation of the world was by the word of God. And that's why John writes in his prologue, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God from the beginning. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was something the Greeks could not understand based on their own philosophy. And the early church fathers particularly helped to map out a way that we could understand this in the Greco-Roman world using the categories of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. You remember the day that Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi and he said, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? You remember what what Peter said but when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? Remember Peter did not say, Why some say that you are two persons and two natures and some people say that you are two persons and two natures that have been merged together. But I say to you that you are two per you're one person and two natures and two wills. No, that's not what Peter said. Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that language was intelligible to a Jewish audience, but it was not intelligible to a Greek audience. And that is why the early church fathers in the Nicene Creed spelled it out that Jesus is truly God that he is one person, two natures, and two wills. Do you know that even the word person is not a New Testament word? That is a word that was borrowed from the Greco-Roman world, which meant simply that you're facing towards something. And they chose that word person to define Jesus' relationship of how he related to God and related to human life. And they wanted to say that he was of the same essence with God in his divinity. And he was of the same essence with humanity in his human nature. The two are entirely distinct in the one person. That is a Greco-Roman way of speaking of the incarnation. And when we talk about the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the thing that uh, characterizes the very nature of God is that the love that the Father has for the Son through the Holy Spirit, these kinds of ways of speaking were developed in the Greco-Roman world, and they became canons of truth for the church in all subsequent times. Wesleyan theology particularly adheres to the canons of belief that have been established by the consensus of the church in the first 300 years, as Wesley put it.
No Wesleyan theology is not particularly focused on systematic theology. It's focused primarily on soteriology, but it assumes the findings of systematic theology, particularly that which has been articulated by the early church fathers. And if Wesley did not write a systematic theology, the main reason he did not was because he was an Anglicans, and Anglicans don't write typically systematic theology. They're interested in worship and in liturgy, and it is believed that theology needs to be done in the context of worship and in the praise of God. And so it was in the sermons that the Anglican Church articulated an understanding of its theology. That's why the Edwardian homilies written by Thomas Cramer were so important to John Wesley. Because when John Wesley laid it out what Methodists believe, he did so on the basis of what uh, Thomas Cramer had modeled as a basis for doing theology, writing sermons. And so what Methodists believe is based on the sermons, the standard sermons of John Wesley. Because it is believed that the way that you think the way that you do theology, you do it in the context of the worshiping community. And if Wesley emphasized the sanctification of the Christian life, and if Methodist theologians and Wesleyan theologians have primarily emphasized ethics and the sanctified Christian life, it's because we have been uh, derived from the Anglican communion. And the Anglican church did what it did because it went back to the early Greek fathers of the church that stressed the Trinity, that stressed the sanctified life, that stressed the love of God. And yet we today, as Wesleyans, are very concerned about systematic theology and how it impacts all the disciplines of thought across the curriculum and how the disciplines of thought across the curriculum impact the church. And indeed, Wesley says in terms of science that we can learn from science to understand certain key passages in, the, in Holy Scripture where certain things are not explained in detail. The primary thing about science that the Scriptures report is that God did it. And how it was done, we rely upon the findings of science. And so the disciplines across the curriculum are very important to us as Methodists, but we want to say that there is a compatibility between faith and reason and systematic theology is also an important task of the church. And indeed, there have been a number of Wesleyans who have done very well in, in writing systematic theology, even from the beginning, Richard Watson being the first. And then there were others in the 19th and the 20th century. Although that Wesleyans have primarily focused on what it is to know God and Jesus Christ and how the knowledge of God impacts our world and what it means to worship and serve and love God with all of our hearts, yes, our minds, and our souls.